Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. It's time for another exciting Q&A with Dr. J, a program where I ask the questions gathered from many sources and Dr. Jennings provides the needed guidance. He doesn't know what's coming, but somehow he seems to be able to field the flies, ground balls, and line drives that I pitch at him every time. In other words, he's very good at this. Dr. Jennings is with us via Skype. So, my friend, Dr. Jennings, are you ready to play ball? Let's go. All right, here we go. Dr. Jennings, what do I do when I read the Bible and it just doesn't move me at all. I just see words there, but my heart isn't renewed or inspired. What am I doing wrong? I don't know that you're necessarily doing anything wrong. I would suggest try a different version. Hmm. There are many different versions out there, good versions, various translations. If you're having that sense, it may be that you're reading in a language, an English translation, that isn't resonating with you, and the words are more academic or or theological. Uh, there's a lot of words in the Bible that have come down to us through our religious system that have very weak meaning to us anymore. They don't mean what they were intended to mean. And so really the whole purpose of reading scripture is not just to hear the words, but to understand the meaning there. So I would suggest starting with a different translation that's easier for you to understand. And then as you read, don't read it as a assignment. I've got to read so many verses each day to make it through the Bible in a year. That's very, very typically not very enlightening for most people. It's more of a task they have to achieve. I would encourage you to to read small sections, and as you read one verse at a time, ask the question, what does this verse mean? What does it mean? You can ask, what does it mean to the person who wrote it? What does it mean to the people who heard it in the day? What does it mean to us today? Does it have any application for our life? Another thing you can do is you can read it out loud, because Much of Scripture, the way it was originally written, it was written to be read. Hmm. And that's why in Revelation, it says, blessed is the one who speaks these words, okay, Hmm. not not reads it, Hmm. because it was designed to be sent as a letter, and somebody would stand up and they would read this letter to the church or to the people. When they went to synagogue, they'd unroll the scroll, and the priests would would read out loud to the people. And so try reading it out loud. That may actually be helpful to you as well. All right, very good. As you were saying this, here's an interesting thought. To me— the people of Christ's day had scripture. They had the Old Testament, of course. But then along came a new version, Jesus. He was standing up there, and he was telling what the scripture was saying only in language they could understand. Would I be right in saying that? Oh, I love what you just did there, because that's another critical thing, too. And what he did is they had the scriptures, yeah. and it was presented to them in a certain structure, a religious structures, a certain lens, if you will. And he took those same scriptures, and he reset them in a truthful lens, because much of the legal system of religion that the Jews were operating under was a human infection of what God wanted them to understand. And so Jesus constantly reset things under design law, how reality works. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and read the parables in the New Testament and all that Jesus taught, he's taking these truths and showing God's truths are how nature works, how reality works. It is not a system of made-up rules. That's the artificial construct that makes it difficult to understand. All right, very good. And listener, I want to share with you at the end of the program 
a version of the Bible that I think you will find very enlightening. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay, question number two. Dr. Jennings, what's the best way for me to teach my young children that everything they do has consequences? They see their friends getting away with so much, but I don't want them to think they can too. Please help. Loving parenting, depending on the maturity of the child, has to step in, and for a period of time, many cases, the parent has to step between the child and the ultimate consequence of reality and invoke a parental consequence. Mm. For instance, parent may have a rule, you don't play in the street. Well, the ultimate consequence of playing in the street is getting hit by a car. No loving parent would allow a child to experience that consequence. Mm -hmm. So the parent steps between the child and the consequence and brings to bear a discipline of some kind. It might be they lose their toy for a day. It might be they sit in time out. Whatever works with that child and that, and that parenting, there's a consequence. And in the child's mind, the child may think, well, the problem with, with playing in the street is, is my mommy or daddy punishes. Well, no, the real problem is getting hit by the car. The loving parent sets boundaries and enforces those boundaries until the child can grow up and realize, and we all look back and go, wow, well, the problem was never that mommy was going to punish if I played in the street. The problem was getting hit by a car. That may be with brushing your teeth. The real promise is decay in cavities, but a child may not understand, so the parent supervises. And so what the parents need to do to help their child learn is, number one, establish their structure, their routines, and their boundaries with consequences around the realities of life that the parent wants the child to learn. As the child is able, they educate them. Well, the reason we have this rule in our house that you brush your teeth after meals before going to bed is because we don't want your teeth to decay. We don't want you to get cavities. You can say that. The child can repeat the words. They really won't comprehend what it actually means in reality until they're older. But you're laying the framework that the consequences you're bringing to bear are based on reality, not simply because parents have power and like to make up rules. All right. We continue now with Q&A with Dr. J. Dr. Jennings, it says, sometimes life gets so confusing to me and I think I'm going crazy. Whew, I can relate. How do I know if that's true or not? What's your answer, Dr. Jennings? I actually didn't see the confusing of life and going crazy connected. I, I see people who are confused because there's lots of uh, conflicting ideas. I have people that will say, oh, there's so many different religions. I don't know which one's true. People typically who actually fear they're going crazy are not going crazy. Crazy is a layman's term. It's not a psychiatric or clinical term. Right. A clinical term for what people typically mean by the layman's term of crazy is no longer being in touch with reality, mm. can't being able to process or understand reality for what it actually is. And so that is in the clinical terms called psychosis. Psychotic patients, people delusional, oftentimes are unaware that they're having those problems. They feel like they're quite sane. It makes quite good sense to them. They know they're the queen of England, even though they're not. Yes. So the people who feel they're going crazy in psychiatric terms are not typically on the psychotic spectrum. They're the ones who are on clinical terms, the neurotic spectrum. And what's mm. the neurotic spectrum? It's the actually the, they're hypersane. 
okay? They're way away from psychosis, loss of touch with reality. They get overwhelmed because they're trying to assimilate, process, and manage too much of reality. Hmm. They're actually taking responsibility for too many problems, too many issues, too many circumstances, and they're trying to process them all and figure them all out and come up with a solution for all of them, not just with their life, but their spouse's life, their kids' lives, the, their, their communities, like their nation's life, world hunger, or whatever the issue might be. They're allowing all the problems that can manifest to be theirs, and they're trying to manage them all, and thus they're getting overwhelmed. So that's not somebody who's psychotic or delusional. That's somebody who tends to be hyper-focused and excessively focused on trying to manage life's problems, and they're overwhelmed by it. So stepping back and saying, wait a second, I need to establish truth in my life. And the truth, uh, I'm not responsible for all this. What are actually my responsibilities? And my responsibilities are in how I govern myself, not in how everything around me turns out. Mm. Dr. Jennings, the next question is asked. I'm a student and stay very busy. Sometimes I just want to give up. What are some of the best ways to rest when my day is go, go, go? Hmm, good question. This is a great question. Brilliant question. So well, first thing you have to realize is that there are certain physical realities to life. It doesn't matter how many responsibilities, how much busyness you have. There are certain realities to life. And in order to be healthy, you have to meet those realities. Mm -hmm. There are four requirements to life and health. Air, you actually have to breathe. Mm -hmm. Water, you have to stay hydrated. Food, you have to eat. And physical sleep. You have to sleep. It doesn't matter how many responsibilities are in life. If you don't breathe, drink, eat, or sleep, you will collapse and ultimately die. This is true. So the first thing you have to establish are before you actually go out to meet the responsibilities of life, you have to first step back and establish what are those requirements that my physiology, my being requires in order to me maintain my wellness and health and sustain myself over time. The breathing takes care of its own for most of us. We don't have to think about that one. It's right. just natural. But hydration, that one actually for many people, they don't hydrate well and they need to take a little bit of purposeful decision making to maintain their hydration. And nutrition, many people eat but they don't eat healthy foods and the food choices in addition to what you eat can significantly impact your mental and physical health. And then sleep, an adult needs seven to eight hours of sleep a night. It doesn't matter responsibilities. If you're not getting it, you will fatigue, you will have more illness and you won't do well. So establishing those and then you also need mental decompensation compression time. And so I tell people to step back, establish these boundaries first, and then look at what's left over, including period for mental decompression and setting life aside. And the God is prescribed one day in seven to put aside the, the problems of work to mentally rest. Physical rest happens in sleep. Mental rest happens on your Sabbath rest each week. And so the people who do all of these things then maintain their physiology, their well-being, their, their efficiency, their critical thinking capacities so that they can sustain themselves over time. I also use this physical mobility metaphor. You can walk, you can jog, you can run, and you can sprint. But you cannot sprint for as long as you can walk. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's a real emergency. Your child is drowning two miles away. 
you will not sprint for two miles. I don't care. You won't. Mm -hmm. Even if you try, you will collapse because you can't sprint for two miles. This is a metaphor. In life, there are certain circumstances that come along that are urgent, and we need to go faster than just to walk. We need to jog. Maybe we need to run. Maybe we need to sprint. And we might be able to do a sprint working load for a, a day or two, maybe a week. But we have to get back to normal output or we will exhaust and burn out. And many people, because they've been able to do sprint mode for a day, a week, try to maintain sprint mode, but they exhaust and burn out and they can't do it. So you have to determine what is that pace, a fast walk, a slow jog that we can work ourselves up to, train ourselves to, that is sustainable for years. We can maintain that pace without burnout because we're getting our good sleep, we're getting our good nutrition, we're getting our hydration, we're getting our mental rest each week, that we have a, a good pace. But if we, even with all the other healthy things, we try to go to sprint mode, we will still burn out. That's very good advice, not only for students, but also for us who are slogging through life as best we can. Very, very good advice. Dr. Jennings, uh, we're coming near the end of the program here, and I had mentioned uh, that I want to tell the, the listeners about a version of the Bible that is available. Can you tell us a little bit about something called the Remedy that happens to be at comeandreason.com? Yeah, so first off, you can get it as a free app for either your Android or Apple devices. If you just go to your app store and type in the Remedy Bible, mm -hmm. you can download it for free. And if you get the app, it has all the various books. We also have in print the New Testament. We have the Psalms in print, which is separate. And then Genesis is available with the app, or you can go to our website, comeandreason.com, and all those books are there. The Remedy New Testament is through the lens of God's design law. Mm. Every translation that has been done has been done since Christianity embraced this idea that God's law functions like human law, a system of made-up rules, which makes God the judge and the enforcer and punisher of rule breakers. And thus there's an artificial layer of legality that has infected much of the Bible translations. The remedy is purposeful in its intent to put the setting back in God as creator, in God's laws, the laws upon which reality are built, and therefore sin is the condition of being out of harmony with God and his design for life. And the solution is through Jesus Christ, which brings healing and restores us back to righteousness. Thus, the problem is Christ came to take away the sin of the world, not to take upon himself the punishment of his father. Beautiful. Listener, comeandreason.com. Go there and look for something called The Remedy. Dr. Jennings, as always, thank you so much for sharing today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.